At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Confession is a necessary habit to have in our walk with Christ. It's something that can be uncomfortable or bring up feelings of guilt and shame. Even though we may be hesitant to confess our sins, He reminds us in His Word how vital confession is to our relationship with Him. In Psalm 51, David comes in full surrender, bringing his sin, shame, and guilt to God, asking for a renewed spirit and a cleansed heart. Join us in a new series titled Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal, where we'll learn why practicing confession is so important. Would you pray with me, Father? We're so thankful for the cross. We didn't deserve it. We still don't. And yet you called us sons and daughters, not because there was any merit or worth in our part, simply because you've chose to set your love upon us before the foundation of the world. So thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus who took upon himself our penalty, our sin, our shame. What we deserved, Jesus paid. All to Jesus be the glory, the honor, and the praise. Thank you for reminding us of the blood that you shed and the blood that was applied. Thank you for the sins that you have forgiven. Thank you for doing in our lives what we couldn't do, but only that you could do. And so to you be the glory, the honor, and the praise. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you give God a hand clap of praise this morning? And you may be seated. Thank you, Brett. Brent and worship team, thank you so much for leading us in worship. My name is Abraham Phillip. I'm the executive pastor of ministries at Romeo. Um, That's why you haven't seen me here much at all. It's a part-time position. It's part-time because I haven't given up my full-time role. And I attribute that to my wife saying yes. And so if you see me crazy and running around with my head cut off, it's all because she said yes. But I'm... um, privilege to be there ministering and serving the Lord. You know, we have 14 campuses across the Southeast Michigan, Detroit area, but we're of one family, amen, one church in many locations, and we have the privilege of taking the gospel, amen, to each one of our communities for the, for the glory of God and for the expansion of his kingdom. Pastor Chris is speaking at, the, at a service this morning in Waterford. He is uh, doing the um, ordination and installation of Micah Jelenic. That name should be familiar. He is the son of the late Dr. John Jelenic. And uh, Pastor Chris is there ministering to him and to that church family as Micah starts a church plant there in Waterford. Pastor Chris, or Pastor Steve is at Lake Orion preaching God's word today. And so the baton has fallen to me to share God's word with you today. How many of you have ever been to an escape room? Oh, wow, a lot of you. Okay. Um, I've done escape rooms throughout um, many years as part of team building activities at various um, um, organizations within the company that I work for. But I still, even after having done so many of them, I'm still not sure that it's wise to spend so much money to get yourself locked in a room where you spend the next hour trying to get yourself out of that room. And so the way the escape room works is you're, if you're doing a team building activity is you work together as a team to try to find the clues that help you open cabinets or chests or doors that eventually lead for you within the hour to get out of that escape room. 
And if you get stuck, there are people in the escape room or who are running the escape room who will give you clues to help you get unstuck. And I find that I need a lot of those clues because I get stuck often. Anybody with me? Yeah, you know what it's like. <clears throat> I remember once I was in an escape room and I somehow stumbled on a combination I shouldn't have stumbled upon. And it gave us access to a different part of the escape room we weren't ready for yet. And as a result, we got stuck. Like the whole team failed. We flunked that escape room. That was embarrassing. That was embarrassing. Escape rooms can be fun. But what happens when we find ourselves in the escape room of sin? What happens when we've done something wrong, something sinful, and we try to cover it up, we try to make excuses, and we unwittingly and unknowingly find ourselves in the escape room of our own making, and we're stuck. You realize that when you are in an escape room of sin, you don't need a clue, right? What you need is God to come rescue you. We need God to come into the escape room of the sin that we have created and rescue us and bring us out of that room into freedom and restoration and renewal. And so today we begin a brand new series called Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal. And we're going to be deep diving into Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David and it's his prayer of confession. And as we study this psalm, we're going to learn the power and the freedom that comes with confessing our sins. But before we get to Psalm 51, <clears throat> we need to understand why David was confessing his sins at all. And in order to do that, in order to set the context to Psalm 51, I want to have you turn to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, which is where we're going to be. If, you're, if you have read those chapters, those are pretty familiar passages. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find that it's springtime and it's the time when kings went to war but David didn't. David stayed home and he sent his armies ahead, his men ahead to fight his battles, to be at war. David lounged around the palace. He's alone. He's isolated. He's bored. He just so happens to venture to the rooftop of his palace. And wouldn't you believe it? Wouldn't you just, it's amazing. It just so happens that there is a a woman taking a bath on a nearby rooftop, and she's beautiful. It just so happens. Wink, wink, nod, nod. He's filled with lust. He's filled with desire for her. He finds out that she's Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah, who's one of David's mighty men. He's out fighting David's battles, but he doesn't care. He's the king. He sends for her. He takes her. He commits adultery with her, and he sends her home. Sometime later, Bathsheba sends notice to David, I'm pregnant with your child. David goes into full-blown cover-up mode. He brings Uriah out of the battlefield. He brings him home and tries to convince him to go sleep with his wife. He's an honorable man. He refuses. And so David is forced to find a way to have him killed in battle. And after the period of mourning is over, David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And as far as David is concerned, he thinks no one's wise, none the wiser for the adultery, that no one's discovered the fact that he's murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He thinks he's done a good job covering it up. In fact, if you read chapter 11, it's written as if though David got away with it all, that he's covered it up successfully. And that's true until you get to the very end of chapter 11. 
The very last verse of chapter 11 says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Oh yes, David covered it up. Oh yes, David figured out how to make the right excuses to get out of the shame and the reproach of the sin that he's done. But God saw, God knew, and God was displeased. David chose to harden his heart, chose to conceal his sin. And as a result, God takes the initiative in chapter 12 to confront David of his sin. And that's what God does with us. And as we look at chapter 12, what we're going to learn is that God confronts our sin so that we can experience renewal. God confronts our sin so that we can experience renewal. Confrontation is such a tough word. None of us like to be confronted, myself included. And most of us, we're not confrontational. We, we don't want to be the bearer of bad news. And so we, we typically tend to ignore it. Isn't there a better way to deal with our sin? Something less direct, something less finger in the face. Unfortunately not. When we fall into sin and we harden our heart and we find ourselves in the escape room of sin, divine confrontation is what we really need. And so this morning, I want to share with you three specific reasons why we need God's confrontation in our lives for our sin. The first is that we need divine confrontation because we are blind to our own sin. Because we are blind to our own sin. I'm in chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Before, but before I do, let me just let you know that there is a time gap between chapter 11 and chapter 12. There's about nine months to about a year gap between these two chapters. How do we know that? Because in chapter 11, Bathsheba is pregnant with David's child. In chapter 12, the child is born. Even back in ancient Israel, it takes about nine months to deliver a baby. That's normal, right? So there's about a year between these two chapters. And this gap God allowed to see if David would repent. To see if David would confess his sins and come clean but David didn't. David didn't repent. And so God sends the friendly neighborhood prophet named Nathan to confront David of his sin. Notice 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many, very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan, the messenger, the prophet of God comes to David and he doesn't come with a finger in David's face. No, he comes with a story. And so David, as king of the land, would be responsible for executing judgment across his kingdom. So it wouldn't be unusual for Nathan to come and present a case like this to David. And the story is really simple. Two men, 
One who is rich, who's got everything, herds and flocks and everything else. And a poor man who has nothing. He's bought a little lamb. A lamb who lives in his house. A lamb who he treats like a daughter. And for this rich man, there's a visitor who comes. And the rich man wants to put food in front of him. But instead of taking out of his wealth and out of his abundance, he takes the poor man's lamb kills it, barbecues it, and gives it to this guest. Now at this point in the story, David has an over-the-top reaction. Notice, he says, as the Lord lives, I can almost imagine David leaping out of the throne. His eyes are wide. The veins on the side of of his head are bulging. He's furious. And the first words out of his mouth is, as the Lord lives. Now, wait a minute. The mention of God is nowhere in chapter 11 until you get to the very end. David, for a whole year, has lived as if though there is no God. For a whole year, David has done whatever seemed right in his eyes. He has schemed, he has covered up, he has done whatever he wanted. Without once thinking about the living God. And all of a sudden, the Lord is front and center, as the Lord lives. And notice David's judgment on the man. This man should die. Oh, and he should pay fourfold for the lamb that was taken. But death? Now that seems a little harsh for stealing, doesn't it? I mean, after all, nowhere in the Bible do we find that the penalty for stealing is death. Nowhere. But the penalty for stealing, according to Exodus chapter 22, is that the person who stole repays fourfold for whatever was taken. Now, there is a penalty that leads to death, and that's murder and adultery. At this point, David has no clue that this story is about him. David is totally clueless because his heart is hard. His conscience is asleep. For a year, he has refused to repent from his sin. But why does David have such an emotional outburst? Why such a strong judgment? Because it's so much easier for us to see the sins of others than for us to see our own sins, right? Someone said it this way. Most of us are umpires at heart. We like to call balls and strikes and somebody else. We're all adept at applying God's standards to others, but dodging its application for us. The irony here is that this story, this is exactly what David does to Uriah and Bathsheba. Without pity, he's destroyed Uriah's life and Bathsheba's life. Without pity, he has destroyed their marriage. He's had no heart because he was blind to it all. Friends, all of us, David included, have blind spots. Blind spots where we are prone to sin. Last summer, I had the privilege of teaching my middle daughter how to drive. Now, this is my second attempt at teaching one of my kids how to drive. I thought I was an expert. So driving around the neighborhood, around making circles, around the parking lot, going straight, turning right, turning left. Easy. That was easy. She was a quick learner. But where my heart started palpitating and my, my hands started getting sweaty is trying to teach her how to change lanes. 
It's not enough to put your turn signal on and merge. Some of you are doing that right now. I know, I drive the streets. <laughs> it's not enough to put your blinker on and just look in the mirror and then change lanes. Why? Because we have blind spots. They tell you what? Turn your, turn your head. They did teach you that in driving school, right? By the way, there's one on this side too. There are two areas of your vehicle that the mirrors don't see. So you have to turn your head. By the way, if you have one of those newfangled vehicles, you, you have a little light on the side of your mirrors that tell you when there's somebody there. But if you read your owner's manual, if you ever read your owner's manual, it tells you you still turn your head and look because it's still something there that the sensor might not pick up. Checking your blind spot is an important way to avoid an accident. Amen? <laughs> we all have blind spots. We all have those areas in our lives that we're blind to, that we're prone to sin in. And that's why God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ who can hold us accountable, who can confront us. Yes, confrontation is, is painful, it's difficult, it's messy. But friends, that's what God did with David. God sent Nathan to accuse him, to confront him, to reveal to him the blind spots in his life so that God can bring renewal. David had trapped himself in the escape room of his sin and it took God sending Nathan to reveal that sin and to expose it. Friends, do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone who knows you well, who can challenge you, who can confront you, who can call you out when you're not, not walking right with the Lord? I have a Nathan in my life. I'm so thankful for the Nathan God has given me a man who knows me well, who has every right, and I've given him the right to challenge me, to con confront me when I am not walking according to God's word, when I'm walking into sin, when I'm falling into sin, he has every right to challenge me and to confront me. Do you have a Nathan? I hope and pray you do. Because we all have blind spots. David had a blind spot. And that's why God convicts us and confronts us, because we all have blind spots in our life. The second reason why God confronts us is because we have despised the word of the Lord. Because we have despised <clears throat> the word of the Lord. In verse number seven, we continue to read, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord... Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Talk about a moment of truth. God has David right where he wants him. And now Nathan sticks his finger in David's face and says, you are the man. You're it. 
This story is about you, David. Four English words that slice through a year of hard-heartedness in David's life. Four words that bring Holy Spirit conviction that tears through the defenses that David had set up. And in the end of verse 7 through verse 9, Nathan exposes David's sin. But did you notice that the core of David's sin is not lust or covetousness or anger? But according to verse number 9, at the core of David's sin was that he despised the word of the Lord. To despise something means to accord little worth or value to something. In other words, David treated God's word like trash. Now imagine what what Nathan is telling David. He's telling David, look, God has given you everything. If there's something you wanted or something you thought you lacked, all you had to do was ask. God would have given you that as well. But you decided that you needed more. You decided that what God had given you isn't enough. And so you went around God's provision. You went around God's word. You went around God's will. And you took something that wasn't yours, something you thought you were entitled to. And in doing so, you despised God's word. In fact, if you look down at verse number 10, you see that David despised God himself. You see, when... We despise God's word. It's the same as despising God himself. Some people say, oh yeah, but you know, I love God, but I just, I just don't like the things he says. Yeah, that doesn't work. You see, God's word is a reflection of his character. And so when you despise one, you despise the other. You can't have one without the other. And so because David despised God's word, he was treating God like trash. And after exposing David's sin in verses 10 through 12, Nathan delivers God's judgment. Can I just say, there is forgiveness for sin. And we're going to talk about that next. The penalty for our sin, which is death, will be removed when we confess our sins. But sin has consequences that we may have to endure for weeks or months or even for a lifetime. David's sin had consequences. Notice, David would experience violence and conflict from within his own family. He would experience open shame and the public violation of his marriages. Friends, sin has consequences because sin is expensive. There is a cost that comes with sinning. Someone once said, sin takes you further than you want to go and costs you more than you're willing to pay. Oh, sure, sin seems pleasurable at the moment. Sure, it seems satisfying when you're doing it. But the long-term effects of sin is misery. Because sin is expensive and there are consequences. Sin ruined David's life. It ruined Bathsheba's life. It ruined Uriah's life. It ruined the kingdom. It totally destroyed the witness Of a holy, righteous God. Sin is expensive. And sin has consequences. Friends, are you stuck in an escape room of sin? Is there unconfessed sin in your life that you've covered over? Because when we do that, we're despising God and we're despising his word. Won't you come clean? Won't you confess it today? If the conviction of the spirit of God is working in your heart, respond positively to that conviction. 
and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. Would you rescue me out of this escape room of sin? And would you bring me into the renewal of life that is only found in you? God confronts us because we're blind to our sin. He confronts us because we despise God's word. But lastly, God confronts us because the Lord is willing to forgive our sin. Because the Lord will forgive our sin. As a result of Nathan's confrontation of his sin, at the beginning of verse 13, it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's simple. Very short, very concise. He didn't go on and on. Very simple. Just two words in Hebrew. I sinned. I sinned. I find it interesting that David didn't dance around Nathan's confrontation of his sin. David didn't blame shift. He didn't say, it's all Bathsheba's fault. I mean, who told her to go take a bath on her rooftop? Didn't she know I was her neighbor, that I'd see her? Like, it's all her fault. It just kind of happened. I had no control. No, he didn't do that. He didn't blame shift. He didn't deflect. He didn't say, Nathan, it's so stressful being a king. You have no idea what it feels like to be me. No, he didn't do that either. He didn't turn the tables on Nathan and go on the offensive. He didn't say, well, Nathan, a little holier than thou, are we? <clears throat> Since we're talking about sin and my sin, let's talk about your sin. No, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do that either. He didn't take a page out of modern culture and just ghost him. He didn't say, uh, good talk, Nathan, let's talk never, hashtag canceled. No, he, he, didn't, he didn't do that either. And that's why I think David is a man after God's own heart. And why he is so different than Saul. Saul sinned and lost the kingdom. David sinned but didn't lose the kingdom. Why? Because when Saul sinned and was confronted about his sin, he denied it. He made excuses. He covered it up. He ran from it. David, when confronted with his sin, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't deny it. He didn't duck. He didn't deflect. He owned it. He confessed his sin. He came clean with God. And as a result of David's confession, Nathan replies at the end of verse 13, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Wait a, wait a minute. What do you mean you shall not die? The penalty for adultery, the penalty for murder is death. God, what do you mean you've pardoned David that you have put away his sin? The phrase put away literally means to pass over. That phrase should trigger in your mind a different story. A story that comes from Exodus chapter 12. You remember the children of Israel were living as slaves to Egypt. And God was trying to get the Pharaoh to set his people free. But Pharaoh refused. And so God would send uh, plague after plague. Nine of them. But when we get to chapter 12, God talks about the tenth, the last plague he would send. And in this plague, God would send the angel of death down the streets of Egypt. And in every house where there was a firstborn son, that firstborn son would die. But God tells the people of Israel, take a lamb and sacrifice it. Then take its blood and put it on the sides and then on the tops of your door frame. And as the angel of death walks by your house and he sees the blood around the door frame of your house, the angel of death will pass over your house. No one will die in your house. David gets God's pardon 
for David, God chooses to pass over his sin. But doesn't David deserve death? Yes, he does. But God chose to pardon David. God chose to pass over his sin. Because you see, the death that David deserved, the judgment that David should have rightfully had, was paid by a different son of David, whose name was Jesus. Amen? God sent Jesus into this world through the lineage of David. That God made Jesus, who was the perfect, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The justice David deserved, the justice you and I deserved, was nailed to the cross. It was put on Jesus. He paid the penalty we couldn't pay. How many of you are thankful for the extravagant grace of Jesus that paid your sin and mine? Amen. And amen. Friends, it was that night, I believe, that as Nathan left the palace, that David penned the words of Psalm 51. And we're going to dive deep into that psalm in the weeks to come. But I believe he wrote another psalm. Another psalm that talks about his experience through this ordeal, through this sin. And it may not have been written that night. Perhaps it came as a result of thinking about it, and perhaps even journaling about it. And I think it was Psalm 32. I'm going to read the first five five verses of Psalm 32. Just listen to these verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. How many of you realize that there's a difference between covering up our sin and God covering over our sin? You see, when we cover up our sin, it takes a physical toll. It hurts us physically. David said he had no strength. His bones were wasting away. It makes us physically sick when we cover up our sin. But when we get right with God and when we confess our sin to God, when we ask God to forgive us, he covers over our sin with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because Jesus paid it all. All of our sin including the one we're trying to cover up even now. Friends, he's paid it all. Now you might say to me, but my sin is horrible. Abe, you have no idea what I've done. And you're right, I don't know what you've done. But here's the truth. God's grace is greater than your sin. Amen? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is more powerful than anything you can ever do. So no matter how bad your sin might be, no matter what you're trying to cover, his blood can wash your sin and make you white as snow. You might be wrestling with whether you should confess or not. And perhaps the conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon you and you feel the finger in your face where the Spirit of God is saying, you're the man, you're the woman, it's you. And you feel that weight and you feel that conviction 
and you're wrestling with whether you should confess it or not because you're feeling like if you confess it, it could be the end of your, your family. It could be the end of your marriage. It could be the end of your life. It could be the end of your job. My friend, confession is painful. I'm not going to lie to you, but it's not the end. Confession is just the beginning. Because when we're trapped in the escape room of our sin, God comes to rescue us through confrontation because he wants to bring you out into freedom, into renewal, into restoration. And it only happens when we surrender ourselves to the cross and say, Lord, here I am. Would you forgive me for what I've done? And his blood will wash away your sins. I realize that there are people here today who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. If that's you, can I just tell you that Jesus loves you? He loved you so much he went to a cross to die in your place and mine to pay the penalty that you and I deserved. He died. He was buried, but three days later, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and the grave, and now he stands with arms open wide, inviting all of us to come, to confess our sins, to turn from them, and to receive him as our Lord and as our Savior. And you heard it time and time again in the baptismal tank. When you do, you receive a new joy, a new peace, a new life, a renewal of things you didn't even expect. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, won't you come? There will be people at the front who'd love to pray, to pray with you, who'd love to introduce Jesus to you. Brothers and sisters, there are some of you sitting here who are carrying the weight of unconfessing. Won't you come clean with Jesus? Confess your sin. Get right with him. And as he confronts you, let him release you from the bondage of sin and from that escape room and give you the newness of life that's only found in him. Won't you stand? There'll be people at the front who'd love to pray with you, but perhaps even now, there's some of you who need to do business with Jesus. The stairs are open. You can come while Brent and the worship team are leading us in worship. You can do your business with God right now, right here, today. Don't leave until you make it right with God. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus that you love us so much that you don't let us go, that you pursue us. You sent Nathans into our life to confront us because of your extravagant grace and mercy, none of which we deserve. And so, Lord, won't you do a work in our lives to release us from the sin we carry so that we can find renewal in you, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.